0: If I were the contractor in that scenario, I would physically repel from the, from the adjuster at that point. And I would say, whoa, it sounds to me like you're talking about policy and coverage. If there are not enough line items on the estimate, it's short. And <laughs> so like, it, you have to figure out like why there's a reason why there's not enough line items on the estimate. Oh, yeah, I read your your estimate. I'm thinking, yeah, right. He didn't read through that whole report. We go to the kitchen and he's like, I'm telling him about why, you know, here's the low bearing wall and here's all the work we have to do. He goes, yeah, I read the report and said this, that and the other. And I realized he really did read my report. And just to show you how shocking that was, like a freaking tear came to my eye, man. <laughs> I say that all the time. Like, I was so shocked, like, oh my gosh, he really did read my report. So it never happens. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. All the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level and now the commercial claims advocate vince
1: perry all right i'm cutting it off because we are here with the man the myth the legend chad michael aka the practitioner aka what i've been calling you the og you know what that stands for right
0: you tell me the original gangster.
1: <laughs> basically you are like the original you are like when I started to really get deep into claims and trying to figure out what I should do how I should counter my arguments how I should present things I would watch you and then when I started my YouTube channel and looking to see, well, who else is out there? And I was like, all right, there's Chad out there. And I'm like, there's not really anybody else out there. I'm like, this is a good space for me. And <laughs> yes. uh, it's, an, it's an honor. When I first met you, uh, I forgot where it was, some some conference, but yes. it was just an honor to finally meet you in person. And uh, and now to have you at our event, it's, it's even more of an honor. So thank you, Chad, for coming on, man.
0: Oh my pleasure, Vince. I mean, honestly, I I don't know how I could even, you know, respond to something like that. I mean, it's just it it, it blows me away to think that anybody would want to listen to what I have to say at all. You know, know. so, so to, to, to hear stories from people I meet out there, they're like, "Hey, I've been watching your channel and all that." But hey, man, quick shout out to you, dude. I mean, you it like you saw that and you saw there was a, a vacuum, like a space for you, right? And you stepped into it. You saw the vision and you took your, you know, you took the bull by the horns and you've been doing awesome ever since, man, consistent, awesome, valuable content. I mean, you deserve to be growing like you are right now, dude. So congratulations to you, man.
1: I appreciate We're that. Proud I appreciate you. that. Yeah. It's a lot of work, right? You know, it's a lot yeah. of work. It's hard to keep going with that content and keep having something relevant come out there. And uh, yeah. Sure. But, uh,
0: you get like 20 it. views, 30 views. Uh-huh, and you're uh-huh. like, who's even, who's even paying any attention? Exactly. <laughs> so, and then it grows, you know, it grows and you just keep at it.
1: Um, so thanks for coming on. The reason why we're doing this, this is the Passport to Miami. Uh, I think it's funny. It's clever, right? Passport to Miami. Absolutely. I was born and raised there. So if you know anything about Miami, uh, uh, not a lot of people are actually from there. And, um, (laughs) we'll be having our event on November 16th. Very excited. And I want to have this sort of like as a preview of what they're going to get from you. I really want you to like, just drop some value bombs in this 30, 30, 40 minutes tops that we're going to have here of just what you know, and you know a lot. You have your own course, you have your own book, you have your own uh, teaching, your coach, and you teach all of the fundamentals of what you've learned over the years of really how to spot damage, how to inspect the claim, how to properly present your arguments to the insurance company so that, like you told me before we actually got on, was making sure that you as the contractor really do everything possible before really getting to that point to do we have to use a public adjuster do we have to use an attorney like what is it that we have to do without you stepping over any line so walk me through that walk me through that process chad when you go to a loss What is it, you said something very clever that I want you to repeat, which is like a crime scene. Walk me me through your process, Chad, when you walk into a loss and you're just really trying to gather the evidence so that you could present it correctly to the insurance company.
0: Sure, yeah, I mean, I think, um, at first I have to tell you, I have not written a book yet. I have writings and things, but I have not written a book. And so that, i I know i need to do that but i appreciate the fact that you think i have a book because i (laughs) (laughs) no i do have the the online course but um yeah great question man and i think that goes in line with uh what i do the most i I think my my training and consulting and the the training course and the events are mostly geared towards insurance restoration contractors however uh, there's always um Uh, public adjusters that are in attendance. Sometimes regular IAs will come too. I always ask, you know, who are the adjusters here? And they're afraid afraid to raise their hand. Um, But also attorneys will come and people who do appraisals. And so, and I've been hired by those folks too, like public adjusters and attorneys. So so like, and I love them all. Like they're all like family to me in the industry, all the players of the game, right? But I think predominantly what you see at my events are mostly the contractors. And so, I mean, I think they're all... Um interconnected in some way, like it's it, there are all the complexities where you you know the, the owner, the property owner has to hire a public adjuster directly and has to hire the attorney directly. That's not something that the the contractor can really do. And I think people are confused about that. you know I think I think a lot of contractors, they find themselves in spaces and forums and groups on Facebook, and there's a lot of talk about policy. they might find a you know a, a, a channel like yourself like yours, that they can just learn a ton of value from, but they might assume that they could just talk about, you know, certain things that they can't if they're not a public adjuster, right? So I always kind of start from that premise. And I think it's helpful for any attorney and public adjuster to also hear these same these same things, uh, because it goes in line with what you said, that, you know, for an attorney or a public adjuster, if they were handed a file, it sure would be great if all of these other options that maybe were available to the contractor or to the property owner have already been exhausted, or at least there's there's some kind of trail of due diligence that where you can pick up from. And what I'm talking about specifically is mostly the inspection and the estimate, right? And like, and so that's what I talk about is inspections, estimates, and supplements. Like my course is IEScertified.com standing for that inspections, estimates, supplements. Because like you, I saw uh, just this wide open space, you know, like there's nobody talking about just those three things. There's always like policy and other things. So, but for the contractor, I think it's so important that you exhaust all options that are available to you in the contractor lane. And so what does that mean? Like, what is the, what are the lanes that you have to kind of stay in? Well, it's, it's basically as simple as the contractor really cannot discuss policy and coverage i mean there's a little bit that they can maybe discuss with policy as far as like do they have the coverage you know the kind of verifying coverage as a pol- as a uh, as a service provider but th- i think that's where insurance adjusters give contractors the most friction is because insurance adjusters kind of go in and they make you kind of operate with one arm tied behind your back because the adjusters are like, well, no, we, we can't pay for that because the policy excludes it. Or we can't pay for this because the policy uh, says this or the policy doesn't have coverage for that. And so like, if I were the contractor in that scenario, I would physically repel from the, from the adjuster at that point. And I would say, whoa, it sounds to me like you're talking about policy and coverage. And I'm just a contractor. I can't talk about policy and coverage, right? So um, let me be the first to tell them, you know, that I can't. And so that kind of feels like it puts the the contractor at a disadvantage, major disadvantage, because, you know, the the, the playing field is not equaled, so to speak, because you can't talk about uh, policy and coverage. I actually believe that the contractor has a ton of power, ton of power, if they just would know how to utilize that. Like uh, for instance, building codes, just for one example, uh, and, and I'm talking about ordinance and law, um, it is coverage. So you do have to know, you know, do they have this coverage and what type of building code? And, and I would say building code compliance where a lot of people uh, incorrectly refer to it as building code upgrade, uh, but it's really just building code compliance, ordinance and law coverage, OL coverage you know, if the client has that coverage, and it's usually up to a certain amount, then the insurance company generally has to pay for everything that it takes to bring that project up to code compliance. And so the way I like to think of this is that the contractor, forget about insurance claims for a second, let's just be contractors, okay? That's how we can start to win is first separate some of this stuff is let's be contractors. Let's not be attorneys. Let's not try to be public adjusters. Like those experts have their roles, right? So, but as the contractor, I think you need to stop and realize that you have to comply with building codes regardless, regardless, regardless if they pay for it or not. Um, No insurance adjuster or anybody else should be able to force you to go break the law. And so like, no matter where you're watching this or listening to this right now, if you're in America somewhere, you are required, okay, to comply with building codes. There are building codes where you are right now. And so I think as a contractor, you should start with refreshing your skills on basic building codes. And, I, and I'm not talking about, cause like for me, I sort of missed the boat as a contractor i have to be honest with everybody when i talk about this subject i didn't know what i was doing and i and i and i thought i knew what i was doing and i thought hey i have people around me that i can rely on they're experts in the in in these topics um but i've now realized they didn't know what they were doing either you know so i just i i could have been such a better contractor for my clients and a service provider if I would have known just some basic building codes like International Residential Code, International Building Code, International Energy Conservation Code, there are all these different code books that are put out by the International Code Council, which is the resource you wanna to go to for any building code, no matter where you are, um, not some third party Google site. You know, I know there are great apps that you can use, but I just you need to know if that's coming from the source, which is the International Code Council. When I first looked into this, it looked like I had to buy all these code books, you know, to become some sort of an expert. And it was like reading a language I didn't understand, but somebody helped me along the way to really simplify these things. I don't need all those code books. I only need, really need to start with those basic three books, the IRC, IBC, IECC. And th- there's only really a handful of codes that I'm usually gonna use uh, when it comes to these insurance projects out of those code books. And so, like, I have a whole segment in my training course about building codes, so that people understand how to go do the research, which codes to use for each project. Um, you know, if it's commercial, you use IBC. If it's uh, if it's residential, you use IRC. And then, of course, Florida, where you are, has the whole Florida version of all this. And I have a whole Florida version in my in my course too, because that's like uh, very different from all of the other states. Like the each city all of them uniformly adopt the same code whereas in other states each city is different um but but really the florida code is also published by the international code council (laughs) and it's the frc you know fbc they have the residential version and the uh ibc version basically of the of the florida building code and the international energy conservation code they have their own energy version of it so it's very very similar just a lot more strict And building codes can just help you have the power to win in these scenarios so much more. And are you allowed to talk about building codes as a contractor? Absolutely. You're allowed to talk about those things. You're allowed to discuss price. You're allowed to meet with adjusters and talk about the scope of work. You're allowed to identify damage. You know, It it kills me when people say, oh, contractors have no business identifying damage. Well, I mean, if you are a contractor, like a, like a handyman type contractor, and there's something wrong with your with your screen door, and you called me to fix that, don't I need to figure out what's wrong with the screen door? And so I think there's all these myths that go on, you know? But to your point, yes, I believe that it starts with the evidence and the documentation and the proof. I'm very old school, like I'm not relying on any silver bullet or special magical form that you get a client to sign. All it is for me is about collecting the actual evidence. So, like you said, every job site to me is like a crime scene that must be investigated, right? Like, so, like, it's like full on CSI crime scene technician, you know, style where everything's got to be dusted for prints, for example. If you can think of it in, in that way, um, essentially, Every insurance estimate that I've ever seen over 23 years of experience um, has been short. That's a, that's remarkable. Like I used to own a virtual estimating company where I did hundreds and thousands of estimates throughout the year. I had to look at all these insurance estimates all over the country. We wrote estimates in Canada and French for people in Quebec, you know, like, but every estimate I've ever seen is short with, you know, the exception of maybe a typo where they add too many zero or too many, the decimals in the wrong place. Um, but every estimate ever, that I've ever seen from an insurance adjuster has been short. And that's because the li- every line item on an estimate has a dollar sign next to it, has a dollar amount next to it, equals a dollar amount. If there are not enough line items on the estimate, It's short, (laughs) and so like, you have to figure out like why there's a reason why there's not enough line items on the estimate and that could happen, that could be because of a multitude of reasons, but one of which being that the adjuster never saw the item in the first place. They never saw the item in the first place. So inspections for me, if you're talking about like these hurricane claims that are down there where you are or hail damage around the rest of the country or wind out west or anywhere else, you know if, if it's an exterior type claim like that a tornado or a tree falls on a house that for me every every room closet and hallway in that building needs to be inspected that's the way i look at it right so for me that's not 10 photos that's hundreds of photos that's not 20 minutes that's two three hours or more of going through and you know checking out with a flashlight or a thermal imaging camera all of the moisture that's in the building, on every ceiling, around every window, around every door, and then going around to the out and getting it up into the attic. By the way, that's the best way to get decking bought. Um, you know, people say like, oh, they don't approve it because they don't approve rot. The policy excludes rot. Well, there's three different billing codes, perhaps four, that will get that deck bought that has nothing to do with rot. Like we I don't say rot. That's a bad word. Rot mold, these are all bad words, I never say it. Because what causes rot, what causes mold? Water, right? Um, but like, has to be solidly sheathed, the deck, I think most people know about that, but it cannot be water-saturated underlayment, can't roof over top of water-saturated under- underlayment, you can't roof over top of water-soaked decking. Uh, also, a fourth one, perhaps, is you must follow all manufacturer specifications. So no manufacturer specifications are gonna allow you to roof over top of a warped deck, a, a, a rotted deck a cracked deck a deck with too many holes in it because it had too many roofs or you know any any of that um so for me it's about the building codes you know so that, that's really for me and i i know i'm just going on and on uh because i want to give you good content i want to provide as much value as i possibly can uh like my events are like fire it's like a fire hose of information you know but I guess finally, what I really want to say is like a fundamental to, to my teachings that I, that I teach the most is that, and I don't like that term teach, you know, because it's really just sharing what I've learned and, and have, I hate to think of myself as a teacher talking over people, um, but for contractors, what, what really is the purpose that a contractor is hired to do uh, for an insurance project? And the answer to that is not to go fix a roof or not to replace a hardwood floor or cabinets or to, to fix up fire damage. Really the way that I view it is that, and this is what helps me so very much. It's like the, the starting position uh, whenever I'm responding to an adjuster about anything really, which is that the contractor, the thing that they're contractually obligated to do, they're contractually bound to do is they are hired, as the contractor to perform all repairs that are prescribed by the insurance claim that's the way i look at it okay so it kind of helps me to as a contractor i like to let the insurance company make the first move let them come out let them apply the coverage to the claim okay they're going to pay a a certain amount of money if they do apply coverage Uh, it's not near enough i know that but I get happy because they, they've applied coverage, they've opened the door. What I say is take that money off the table, like get them to send the money that they're trying to offer up, take it off the table, put it in the bank, you know, like, like go ahead and get it, get it out of their hands um, and then come back to them because like they, they offer up the coverage. And as the contractor, I am legal or I'm, I'm contractually obligated to go and perform all the repairs that are prescribed by them for the total amount of the, rec- of the replacement cost value. That would be my version, the approved replacement cost value amount. But everything that they put on there, that's my job now for that amount, right? And so I take that prescription, that instruction list from the adjuster, if you will, the, the marching orders, and I go try to carry them out, right? And as I'm carrying those orders out, then I realize right away that I'm running into a brick wall, be it building codes or, missing items or other things or it doesn't have enough supporting items to complete you know the task that they're trying to get me to complete um so that causes me to then approach them with the supplement does that make sense so it's like it's like let them make their move and then I react so I'm at all times being a counterpuncher. but then when I submit my supplement then they're asking me why do you have this why do you have that and that's the arena where i feel like i can win the most is is where an adjuster is going down through the estimate item by item right um but i, I just feel like you know i don't know about your thoughts but i because I, I, I can't speak on how an attorney does things or a public adjuster i just can't I, I can't imagine i would never try to speak on on you know their thoughts on that but i wonder if that's not um even a good thing in 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 your world you know like where you let them make the move apply the coverage and then you pounce
1: (laughs) but I don't know normally normally for us we want to we want to act first we want to act first yeah because it's like it it it, it is like a crime scene right you want to make sure that you can gather all the evidence as soon as you can Uh, At least document it and present all of your documentation, whether that's in the form of an estimate or that's in the form of a claim package with photo documentation, with little circles and arrows and descriptions of everything that's going on. Because what we're doing as public adjusters, we're doing that investigation and we're telling a story. So we want to sure. make sure that we're telling a story of exactly what occurred here at this property from the date of the event until the date that we're submitting this documentation. And you want to
0: control the narrative, right? You want to totally that story. control the Got narrative. It. Got it. I
1: usually advise my guys to make sure that we are also um, sometimes recorded, sometimes not, but we're always questioning the insured. We're literally sitting down with them with a pen and pad and we're just saying, okay, investigating. what, what happened? Tell me yes. exactly what happened. And you get everything out there. So then what we do is we, we put together a claims package and normally that includes an it. estimate but let's just assume that it doesn't uh, include an estimate we're trying to make sure that we include enough evidence and we're telling a story that uh, and then along with policy language to make sure it all backs up as to here sure. this is why this claim needs to be covered because starting from the back end especially if a claim God forbid gets denied now we're having to change their mind from an inspect from an investigation that they've already completed A
0: battle it makes total sense that they Absolutely. feel is,
1: is super you know it is what it is and i sent my engineer and i sent this person out like you want to be able to sort of win that battle before any decisions are made yes and sort of get them on your side i kind of cut it- them off
0: at the pass right
1: I call it "kill them with kindness" too. It's just we're, we're look. We're working together here to just yes. try to resolve this claim for for the homeowner.
0: I love it, man. I mean, it, in, and it really works in line with um, sort of my approach with contractors when you know they go out. Like I like to resist the estimate, for example. Like you said, sometimes the estimate, sometimes not. <laughs> you know, I like to just let's let's talk about the things you're missing. You know, well, and then, I then think we'll it was
1: I think it was from you, Chad that I learned that will you submit an estimate without prices?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like mean, You can do the scope report, you can export yep. the, the scope report. Um, and I do photo reports a lot, you know? And I found like, for example, you always have to adjust your methods, you know, over the years, because the insurance trends are always different. But like, for example, after Hurricane Ian down there, like I was down there working on several uh, projects and I found that they were really, it was hard to get them to do a re-inspect just by sending them a photo report, which is one of my tactics. You know, I like to, instead of sending them the estimate, it's so much higher than where they are. They're always going to just send another adjuster out. Right. And so when I, I know they're going to do that. So I'm like, well, let's just get onto that without me having to really show my cards. You know, and so I try to do a photo report that was not working. You <laughs> know, that was not working at all. Um, and so you have to adjust and when you send them, you have to send them, you know, the estimate. You
1: have but, a better, you have a better chance of them coming out to reinspect the property. If they could see exactly, oh, wow, they're writing up all this stuff that we yes. need to include. We need to go out yeah. there and take a look at it again. We need
0: to go see what's going on out here. Yeah. But I, but when they do, I, I, I am the same as you, man. I, I think p- people picture me kind of getting rude and rough on adjusters and wrestling them and using one-liners to slam them on the mat or whatever. It's not at all like that. No. I mean, I, th- I found that m- the most adjusters I've worked with were pretty good people. Maybe they were bound by crazy, strict policies and guidelines, whatever it is. Um, but usually, like, if they sometimes they'll want to approve something, but they didn't, They know it's going to get kicked back down and they're not going to get paid on the file, for example. You know, it's going to hold up their pay. Like, you never know really what's going on. So, but I, I like what you said. I saw um, Steve Patrick say something th- yesterday or the other day that, you know, and it's something i say at every one of my events which is you can gather more flies with honey rather than vinegar that's something that he says like yeah it's good to see other advocates in the industry um you know really applying that because i've always found that i get better results by working with them sometimes you get the guy that's just not going to work with you or you know the, the adjuster and you have to maybe change the players on the field you know get the supervisor get somebody else in there maybe do something else um but i really have found that they've been great but one thing I like about your approach is something that I do when it does come to that re-inspect, when we're there meeting and looking at the damage together, and it's, a, it's another set of eyes on it. I love it when, you know, one of the things I do is like, you know, they're always like, do you have your estimate? <laughs> and they meet you there, do you have your estimate? I'm like, well, you know, I have sort of the structure of my estimate in place, and I have a preliminary estimate, right? But See, I was hired as the contractor to perform all repairs that are prescribed by you. And the way that I'm looking at this prescription now, it's short, many line items. And I wanted you to be able to see that. And I really need to know what it is that is going that you're approving so that I know what it is to write an estimate on. Um, but I do see that you guys use Xactimate. You know, I use Xactimate too. And that's almost always where they say to me, well, can you just send me the ESX file? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the data file. And I'm just like, that's the way I set it up, you know. I, I'm, I'm try- i want them asking me that. I'd rather them asking me rather, but so it kind of goes along with what you're saying because I, I would really love to to do all the work for the adjuster, do it all for them, you know, right. and right. give them the estimate. They take their my letterhead off of it, slap theirs <laughs> on it. I show um, case studies at my at my events where I've done that, and you see the revised copy from the adjuster at the end. And it looks just like my estimate it's got all the same footnotes and the same you know descriptions in there and if you can a lot of times get away now state farm you can't really do that it's very difficult to get them to use your esx file but a lot of these ia's a different ia firm um they're going to easily do it they would love for you to do all their sketching for them and save them all that time it goes a long way though
1: it goes a long way though like if you do that stuff for them you Claims tend to end up going your way a little bit more if you do that stuff for them. We Absolutely. we like
0: always work, but yeah, we, we used to send an
1: that. entire claim package where it would just be like a book like this. And then I actually yeah. talked to a few carrier guys and they're just like, Vince, if you send us something like that, like we're not gonna read it. Like it's too not much. Gonna read it. and I'm like, but <laughs> it looks so nice and we take so much time on it. So I've actually found a stupid little tip. That I, I send it in separate documents with a nice cover page of our firm and everything but i'll send yeah. the estimate and a separate f- document from that i'll send the photo report and a separate document from that i'll have the weather data and a separate document from that i'll have all the invoices and receipts and a separate that do- nice and it seems like it that that flows a little bit more and they tend to like, like us, that
0: so just a little tip you know i i say that a lot too with um it's little things <laughs> I, man
1: it's just such stupid little things sometimes that have nothing to do with actually adjusting or estimating that go along. Oh way. yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, and I say that a lot too with like, um, uh, you know, my my report, my Xactimate report or photo report could be two, three, 400 pages long, you know? And it it's can too be- much. Know, too much. Well, I know, and it has all these photos, hundreds of photos and building codes and all this. And what I tell people at my events is like, look, I don't, you probably think that I expect, that I'm expecting them to go through this and read it. I'm not at all. Like, I'm not that narcissistic. You know, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think they're going to read all my stuff. I I actually think hardly anybody will. Um, But the reason why I do it is because it creates like the source of all the information so that when we're hashing out the differences, you know, going from the top of the estimate all the way down and they're like, well, why do you have this? And I can point out, well, the building codes say on page 42, you know, and you can look there, that it's required and the picture shows the damage on, you know, 60 through 67, for example. Like I can point them to somewhere in the report. But I always talk about this one guy is a tree damage job in Kansas City, Overland Park, I think it was, it's a nice area, but old kind of old school area that big trees, huge tree fell on this house and screwed it all up. Like it had a load bearing wall in the kitchen that was fractured. And uh, I sent in a big estimate because they wanted the estimate to do the reinspect. The second adjuster comes out. He meets me and he has my report printed out on his clipboard, which never happens, you know. Yes. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking this must be a new adjuster or something, <laughs> you know. And so we go through, and I'm, I'm I'm telling him, you know, oh, we have this here on our estimate, and here's why. And he goes, oh yeah, I read your your estimate. I'm thinking, yeah, right. He didn't read through that whole report. We go into the kitchen, and he's like. I'm telling him about why, you know, here's the low bearing wall and here's all the work we have to do. He goes, yeah, I read the report and said this, that, and the other. And I realized he really did read my report. And just to show you how shocking that was, like a freaking tear came to my eye, man. (laughs) I say that all the time, like, I was so shocked, like, oh my gosh, he really did read my report. So it never happens, but it's just, I like to be, have every bit of information and evidence presented. Chad
1: how much money are we leaving on the table by not enforcing onl
0: oh my gosh like there's just no telling there's no telling I think it for me it almost always comes into play on every project you know huh. almost almost always I mean you have your um you know interior water damage fire damage yeah. and there's all kinds of codes that come into play but like, um, you're in an area, I imagine there should be a lot of hurricane, you know, claims. Well, we like- have a lot of water
1: damage. I mean, for most, most of my career, uh, what I mm-hmm. tell people, uh, I was never really a roof guy. I was sure. always...
0: exterior, yeah. I always did a
1: lot of interior, like 10 yeah. years straight was basically 90% of my claims were interior water damage claims.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you if you are, if you happen to be an exterior type contractor or, you know, an attorney or a public adjuster that handles a lot of those claims. Um, it blo- it blows me away. Cause I think that's the majority of people that come to my events are that we always yeah, have mitigation it's, contractors. It's and all the that majority.
1: Event. It's the majority. Yeah. It's the majority of claims are exterior claims. Are you, are you, is, is there O and L what's the percentage of your claims that include O and L is it like a hundred percent every single one?
0: Uh, almost man. And it's over 90%, but let me just throw out some value for you. Okay. Just real quick. If you do these exterior claims to me, like if you're doing roofing claims and that every single roof that you do, like all the pipe jacks, all the vents, all the flashing, all the sidewall flashing, all the valley metal, all the drip edge, like everything, everything has to come off and be replaced entirely brand new. Okay, I'm not talking about like the power attic fans, but the base, the base, not necessarily the skylights, but the the cladding, the flashing around the skylights. Um, and that's simply because of one single building code that there's a variation of it, depending on where you are, it exists though, no matter where you are, I could find it and give it to you. If you're in Florida, there's a variation of it in Florida. It's a little more strict actually. Um, but no matter which version of the IRC or IBC you're using, there's a, there's a variation of this code that says <clears throat> that all flashings, edgings, outlets, or similar devices that are a part of the roof assembly when doing a roof replacement must be replaced. Sometimes it says shall be replaced in different versions. Where rusted, sometimes it says when rusted, (laughs) where rusted, damaged, or deteriorated, okay? So you can already envision like, all right, well, that means, you know, if it's rusted, then I know that, if it's deteriorated, I know that. If it's damaged, well, it'll be damaged during the tear off. Yes, it will be. You could you could demonstrate that, but it's already damaged now. It's already damaged now because how was it installed with nails? So you have the nail holes. That is the damage. And so like it's just simple as simple as that. Um. So like whenever you try to present this code to adjusters, they're always like, uh, well, I'm looking at all these photos and I didn't see any hail damage on the flashing. i didn't see any wind damage to the flashing the code doesn't say anything about wind damage and or hail or tornado or i gotta
1: replace it i gotta replace it it must be
0: replaced where rusted damaged or deteriorated so that's all pipe jacks all valley metal all l flashing sidewall flashing step flashing 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 all right (laughs) i mean just whatever wherever i mean so I mean, you just you have to present that. And, and so the problem is, listen, I, I really missed one of the biggest lines when I was telling you about building codes here, OL coverage, this is really the biggest thing. You gotta understand this, really wrap your head around this, whoever you are out there watching this, two things. Number one, this is great, you're gonna love this. This is gonna turn the advantage back on your side. If you really let this sink in, insurance adjusters don't know anything nothing about building codes it's preposterous like i, I can't believe it like i i demonstrate this there are adjusters are coming to my events and i always ask them the same question i'm like hey listen what what carries have you worked for right and they're like nationwide state pu- you know, public,
1: public adjusters are guilty of that too i'm not gonna oh, like public adjusters attorneys as well i mean that's why we bring <laughs> you guys on to be honest yeah, here's
0: the here's the question that i always ask them is like look in your training to go get your tests what how how much of that was consisted of building codes Nothing. zero all insurance adjusters answer it the same way were there any questions on the test about building codes no there's no okay
1: there's no questions on our test about estimating
0: it's insane like so. then the adjusters i ask them i say all right when you were at state farm nationwide was there any training that they provided on this and they're like no i had one guy say you know, there was something that I could have done, but it was optional. I did it on my own. Uh, that surprised me. Um, so, like, when you when you present building codes to adjusters, they're not going to understand you. That's going to be the next problem. Which so I was going to oh, say, that's a, that's a problem on its own. That's the next problem. So, you have right. to, like, educate the, you know. See, the, when, I, when I found out this was a problem I saw in Facebook groups, like, somebody would say about that flashing code, hey, can somebody send me the flashing code? And, like, nine, ten people would be like, here you go and they would send them this code. But I realized that the person asking the question has no idea about building codes. And the people that are answering, they also have no idea about building codes because for, him to be, for me to answer that question for that person, I would need to know where is it located and is it commercial or residential, right? That way I could send them the right code. So they're sending them codes and there are different variations of it. And guess what? It's working because the adjuster doesn't understand it either, right? And the supervisor and on and on and on, it works. So so they're grateful and they're like, hey, that person really knows about codes. So here's the second part of that though. So first, adjusters don't know anything about building codes. You're allowed to talk about building codes. That's gonna give you that advantage back on your side to really level the playing field. Here's the second part, if that doesn't convince you, if that doesn't convince you, oh my gosh, your competition, doesn't know anything about building codes so like if they're gonna go meet with two three other contractors and that's what they tell you they're not ready to sign yet today great give them a little mini segment about building codes and make sure they quiz those other contractors because if once they understand that none of these contractors know about building codes contractors that's what you said that's why we need you folks you think you think you need us but what you, what you need to understand is that most of us don't know anything about building codes. <laughs> most contractors don't know anything about building codes. It's unbelievable. Huh. It's unbelievable. Um, and so they're, you know, and, and they're attorneys, and the public adjusters. Nobody knows about these building codes. That's an arbitrage. That's a weakness that you can go in there and pounce on if you care. If you care enough to just level up your game just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's not going to take much because you don't have to become an expert because it's very, very rare that you're ever even going to run into an adjuster. They're they are they're out there, so I don't want to say they're all like that, you know, but it's going to be rare that you ever run into an adjuster that actually understands anything about building codes.
1: Well, I like how you said that there's there's a million building codes, but there's really only a handful that you're going to use on basically every claim. Yes
0: correct yep i i, I can gather you give me can and, you
1: give me those can you give me a couple can you give me an interior one and an exterior one that you say yeah that I you mean, use the most you know well, the flashing the, one the flashing one's a good one what about on the interior
0: how okay how about this like um you're opening up walls you're i'll tell you what walls, a, a right? claim
1: that i got a lot i'll give you an yeah. example and then you tell me what the code is um drain lines cast iron sewer lines all the time, I did these claims like you wouldn't believe. Where basically a backup would occur, and there would be, you know, uh, category three water from the kitchen, the bathrooms, and the laundry area. We'd get a plumber. They'd run a camera. It would show that the pipe is is uh, oh, the drain line is is, is it, yeah. done, and you've got a trench to the house in order to replace it. And the claim was for the trenching and and replacing of the pipe, which is a good anywhere from sixteen to twenty five thousand dollars. All of the tile flooring, kitchen cabinets, bathrooms, so on and so forth. That was a claim that we got a lot. Are there any interior code? Up Upgrades that I probably well I think
0: I, I think you know with and with that too, that, that caused me to think of something else too. That's usually a thing. This is more in your realm of policy and coverage, right? Where like a dishwasher breaks, causes a bunch of damage and throughout the house. They'll pay for all the damage, but not the dishwasher itself, right? Mm-hmm. Like the source of the plant, like of the of the it's loss. Common. I think people need to, yeah, people need to understand that um but i would say you know where you uh, open up walls especially like in a kitchen or bathroom area and everything's wet like the stud walls and they want to right away say well we don't pay for that because that's rot we don't pay for rot the policy excludes rot but the but building codes require that you cannot put on new drywall on top of water soaked framing for example you know you just can't do that um you can't trap. you can't trap it in Um, So like the the energy conservation codes really deal with um, the building envelope, right? So like the roof cavity and the wall cavities. And so I think it's important to understand what the uh, R levels that are required, the insulation levels that are required. That would be one that kind of comes into play a lot um, where, you know, like you're, you have to be, I don't know, let's see where you are. I think it's R-30 residential and R-38 is a commercial, or I mean, a R-30 commercial, R-38 resident. I believe, I don't want to be quoted on that. I know I'm on the record here. Um, it's different climate zones for where you are, right? Um, but like you, have, you would have to, a lot of times, bring up the insulation in the wall cavity whenever it's exposed like that. So that's whether it's on an interior claim or an exterior, which comes in a lot of times on siding. Right, like the siding, the house wrap is required. Um, but also the fan fold insulation a lot of time has to be added to bring the R values of the wall cavity, like the whole wall all together has to equal a certain R R value, if that makes sense. R thirty is that yeah, but also electrical, so interior electrical is a big mm-hmm. that's a big one. Like, you know, anything. Uh, the three, like the MEP trades, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, those things. Like, you notice I'm not talking about needing to know all the plumbing, electrical, you know, and mechanical codes. I was talking about those three other books, but those are required too. It's just that I I, I usually find that the plumbers know more about that, <laughs> the, you know, the HVAC uh, contractors and the electricians. Um, But I think if you understand just basic building codes, then you will be able to go do the research. In an electrical uh, category, and you'll you'll be able to kind of do some things that'll make you deadly if you if you know the basics of how it works. Like whatever you're in, you always have to have to comply with manufacturer specifications, no matter what trade you're working in. That that appears in every category of all the code books, right? Um, but electrical comes into play where you have to do a lot of rewiring. And maybe the electrical uh, panel is in the wrong place the fuse box is in the wrong place and and it has to be out in another area for example right. like maybe it's in a in a closet or something that's got to be brought up um there are things like that um, egress is a thing but that's kind of that's i don't know how much that'll really come into play but anything mechanical like like the your hVAC stuff if anything is out of code it has to be brought up to code your plumbing is a big one um you know what type of plumbing is in the property to begin with uh Mm -hmm. whenever you have to start getting to that then you have to bring it up um so I think there's a ton of codes no matter what you're doing um I always say
1: that the most important part of the insurance claim that a lot of people look over is indeed the initial inspection uh, so how you treat it like a crime scene, I love how you said that because people do not understand that if you do not do the work up front and get a proper, proper investigation, it's going to make our lives difficult throughout the life of the claim. So for example, we have a lot of contractor relationships. And even with my contractor relationships that you know refer, uh, refer our firm work, I never, ever like to go by the photo documentation that they sent. Because it's really not up to our standards. Mm -hmm. You seem like someone who's got very high standards when it comes to these initial inspections. So I'd like to sort of close this this whole sure, yeah. this whole interview thing here with you,
0: you, you could probably see we would go on for weeks for weeks we just sit here and just talk and talk and talk and talk <laughs>
1: what is in a nutshell what's what's somewhat your process
0: when you when
1: you approach one of these uh do you have like a written down like scope sheet and process and checklist that you go by or um, is it I, at I this do, point
0: I, I do, but I have to be honest that I don't use it anymore. Um, my checklist is like my photos. Yeah, you know, I, I like to say that, but um, no, I don't. I, so, but my process is before. So, investigating all available data, right? Like you're talking about. Like you're. I really like what you said about that. Like you're asking questions. You're doing. You're. You're. You have to ultimately tell the story, just like you said. I love it. You know, it's just like my process. Like. So my job is to tell a story, like paint the picture, you know, to perhaps an inside desk adjuster that may ultimately make some of the most, you know, uh, critical decisions on this, who's never going to, yeah, who's never going to be out there, right? And you have to tell that story. So it starts before ever going there, investigating all of the available data that is available. Like, for me, that's a lot about like, okay, where's it located? What are the building codes that come into play? You know, like whatever that... Um, reviewing uh, the insurance adjuster estimate, what they may have already in place, if, if that's already taken place, you know, kind of trying to uh, analyze that and kind of perform surgery on it, pick it apart and try to f- try to determine what is in the mind of this adjuster. What were they thinking? What were they seeing? You know, trying to to think through the nemesis point of view, you know, um, but doing that but before ever going, asking a number of questions, you know, like you said, to try to determine doing weather data research. That was another mm-hmm. thing that you said that I really like, um, trying to determine what happened at this property or in the area, you know, try to use any available information that I can before ever going out there. Sometimes I may pull an eagle view, um, if it's something I'm definitely going to be working on, right, into where I'm investing costs into it, or whatever software you use, but like, I would, you know, do an eagle view, get a better picture of things, um, and then and then go out. But then, so like when I, my process, this is funny too, you asked this, is like, I don't think I'm doing anybody a service if I don't say this, like, this is something that I, that I talk about that I think adds some value because I don't think anybody ever really thinks of it this way. (laughs) When, think of adjusters when they show up to these inspections, they generally have like, a lot of them are kind of high tech, you know, they have their laser, uh, pointing Bosch measure measurement devices. And they have, like, a little digital camera around their neck. Maybe it's one of those little flat kind of cameras. Um, and they have – sometimes they'll have their cougar paws or things that can latch themselves onto the roof. I've seen some, you know – The, the yeah The, the <laughs> belt, you know. And they have uh, – I saw this one guy, like, had a pop-up desk in the living room, you know, popped up, and he's right in, his in the ass. In the van, yeah, in the van. Yeah, right he was doing it right in the living room. It popped up, and he did that. Um, but I've seen a lot of things, and – and what I like to do is, is I like to think of things like when the adjuster comes, it's not something I'm talking about, but it's sort of a subliminal thing, subconscious thing, like like mine's better than yours is, okay? Like this, this so when you see me, like I almost look like, uh, think like special forces parachuted in from an airplane and I just landed in the back and I'm coming up <laughs> and I've got all my gear, you know, like, So I come, you mentioned belt, right? Embrace the belt, brother, okay? Like I want anyone watching this to at least try this. I want you to go find the biggest, most bulkiest tool belt that you can get your hands on. Like the biggest one with the most pouches and pockets and, you know, rings on it. And I'm bulky, okay? And I want you to, so that's just me. Like I have the real big belt. And I stuff every pouch full of something useful. Like I have the Bosch measuring devices. Like I have like two and three of them. <laughs> like, I have like the infrared camera and moisture detectors. And um, I mentioned that I inspect every room closet and hallway. I like to use a mini mag light, but I also have the big one, the big <laughs> mag light, like hanging in the thing. So it's like when I go in, I have to like get through, squeeze through doors. So I'm not clanging into. So I have like a backpack with my, you know, my drone stuff, you know, I'm always doing drone, but like, I, and then my camera, I have a Canon T6i Rebel. They're up to like T8i now, but it's like, you know, three, 400 bucks, no big deal. It's not that big of a deal, but it's really bulky. It's big, you know, it just looks big and intimidating, right? And I have it hanging around my neck. If it's a commercial job, then I've got my hard hat on, my safety <laughs> vest, you know, maybe some harnesses and stuff, man, stuff around my knees, you know? Like I'm not kidding you. It it just it has an effect like you would not believe, and 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 what your whole entire goal is to establish yourself as the expert, no matter what. Like if you're meeting with the client for the initial inspection or with the adjuster, right? And I think so. Like when I show up and they look at me, they're like, "Oh my God, who's this dude?" And I'm like, "Oh hey, don't mind me. I'm just I'm just the contractor who was hired." to perform all the repairs that are prescribed by you. So I'm just kind of here to find out what it is that you're gonna approve So I know what it is that I have to do. And I've got my camera, I'm gonna take pictures and things. So don't mind me, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to just get my marching orders, right? And they're like, you know what? And then, you know, they could see throughout the meeting by questions I ask and things that I do that I I am an expert. So they're under scrutiny, you know, Um, there is a spotlight on them uh, everything they do is going to be on the record now, right? Like, I'm just going to be here to kind of keep them honest, um, just by nature of doing what I'm doing already, right? So, um, but meeting with the client, same way, because I if they do say, well, I have to go meet with, you know, two, three other contractors before making a decision whether to hire you. I mean, <laughs> come on now. This is what I've already told you, right. you know, and I'm there, and I'm talk, talking about building codes, and I'm like, hey, you know, like, chimney flashing must be replaced. You know, and I see you have a chimney. Like, what did, what did State Farm say about your chimney? And they're like, I don't know. Let me go get the paperwork. You know, like they, there comes a point in time where there's a shift where they want me to make some sense of it for them, right? Um, so I think if it's about my process, and we could go on forever about that. I'll never fit it in. But I will say, man, that it's all about for me um, being transparent, but educating the client, educating the client. Okay. So one one thing that I do on my YouTube channel, Chad Michael, the practitioner, shameless plug, right? You mentioned it earlier. We uh,
1: I was going to give you an opportunity to do it anyway. So, <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, so like one thing that started that out like seven years ago, so you know, a long time ago was I started doing this, uh, these case studies that I, that I called what's wrong with this insurance estimate, right? Where I just showed a State Farm estimate, for example, and I redacted all the personal information. Just We, we go through it and let's look at it and see kind of what's wrong with it, what's missing. And then we show an estimate that I wrote for that same uh, file. And then we show kind of the, the solution to the problem. And then we show the revised copy, where it ended up at the end. Like, look, State Farm didn't go all the way up to where I was at, but look what they did at. They doubled it, tripled it, whatever it was, right? Um, I would recommend doing that in every meeting with a new client. Okay, like in a book that's maybe laminated, where you you can help them visualize, maybe they haven't seen the estimate yet from the adjuster, uh, or maybe they have either way, there's huge value in that to showing them that you know how this works. Here's how it should be dealt with. Here's the proof in the pudding, right? And then not trying to be high pressure, whenever they're like, uh, you know, know, okay, I got to talk to some other people. I'm already gathering my things, right? Like they don't need to sign right now. I'm confident they're gonna sign later. I'm not one of those subscribers to, if they don't you know, say no seven times, then they don't really mean no. <laughs> I think that's garbage. Like I like to just do things like, I think this stuff sells itself. Yeah. So I think that if you do the right kind of inspection, educating the client the whole way, don't leave without making the proposal, You know, giving them the agreement proposal, um, I try to do everything all in one shot if I can, uh, even if it takes hours. I would like to be able to do it on that first day. Um, other people do it later; that's fine too. I've done follow-ups where you go back well, we don't, to them. But for us, it's a little bit so different because nice.
1: we don't really have to inspect it until after we get signed up. So I see what you're saying. You're talking know, about yeah, it from the contractor's perspective, yeah. where you're doing your inspection and you're hoping mm-hmm. to get the sale at the same time. Yeah, we we're usually already signed up and then we conduct our inspection.
0: I would never ever. Ever, if you're a contractor, ever, ever share your exactimate estimate with the client until they sign with you. I agree. Okay, if they say, "I'll let you come out, but you need to be able to do an estimate," because everybody's knocking on my door and they don't give me an estimate. They're always asking me for my paperwork. Well, if if I have a client like that, and, and after I've educated them, they're still asking that because you shouldn't be asking that. By the way, they they all think they need to find a contractor to do the work for this amount or lower than what the adjuster estimate says right? And that's just because they're misinformed. They're not experts at this. They don't realize that the adjuster estimate doesn't include enough line items. We need to go back and get that done first, right? So if I'm educating them and they're still asking that, then I will give them, I'll write the estimate on the spot and give them a copy of my laptop and let them hold it and look at my estimate and, and roll around on the floor with it for four hours if they want to, but they're not getting a copy of it until they sign with me. I would never do anything on on the behalf of a client. I would not go out and meet with an adjuster ever until I have a signed agreement in place. Those are just two little fundamental things there that I feel like I I can't get off here without saying if you're a contractor, right? So don't do that kind of, like you have to do a free estimate, give them a free inspection. I give them the results to the photos and the drone footage for free, but no free estimate. (laughs) So, all right. I love it.
1: Woo! Chad I mean I mean this with the utmost respect I don't think I've ever been that quiet throughout an interview
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry man I'm you've so got sorry. so much
1: information it's just like oozing everywhere and I am going I'm to call you a teacher okay there are only <laughs> there are a select few of us okay the small minority who are can actually it's not really just teaching it's the way you could present your thoughts and your experience in a way that is digestible to others that they could actually take it and run with it and to me that is what separates a good teacher from a bad teacher or, or i'm so
0: passionate good. about what i do i and love that it too so much and that that know, too. i love it well, but if I you guys, Miami, in- you better have a timer to cut me off down there so I know.
1: We will have a timer. Oh, you will get a uh, 5 minute uh, you know, uh, a
0: hard stop. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Chad, well, thank you so much guys. If you guys just listen to that, I mean, that's just a fraction of what you're going to get at the event. So get ready. It's going to be an amazing event. Miami, oh, Florida November awesome. 16th. Chad, thank you again so much for coming on now and for actually making the trip down so you oh, can meet man. our fellow man, I advocates. can't
0: believe I'm even included in a discussion with all the guys, all the, the powerhouse, not guys, guys and gals. Powerhouse. Uh, the powerhouses that you have coming to that event, man. Congratulations. I'm super proud of you, dude. I can't wait to go to Miami. Thanks, can't man. wait to see you next month, man.
1: All right, see you later.
0: All right, brother. We'll see you.